Acts chapter 20, verse 17 to 38. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me, My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was the statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. This is the word of the Lord. We all have a message to share with the world. We all have a message to tell the world. We all have a message that shapes the world around us. Justin and I, we just had our baby, uh, boy Hudson. Uh, He's about seven to eight weeks now, and we haven't had many opportunities to go out on any date nights, so our date nights have become in-house date nights, and we've been renting, um, using the feature to rent uh, movies through the Shaw program <laughs> because uh, we couldn't make our way out. And deciding to do that, uh, we decided to watch uh, some of the trilogies. We started with The Hobbit, uh, which the amazing three, three movies. And then we're, we can't stop there. Uh, we've got to keep going. And they just took off The Lord of the Rings from Netflix. I'm like, oh, man, but you know what? This is date night. So I'm going to be, um, uh, I'm going to bless us tonight by buying a $6 movie. <laughs> tonight as we share our time together. So we decided to watch all three movies, uh, the all three trilogies of The Lord of the Rings. And as we watched all three, I was just reminded, just so many scenes uh, that came back to mind, how epic of a movie this is. You might remember this one, 
uh, where you have no idea what Lord of, the, Lord of the Rings is, and just follow along with me <laughs> for a little bit. Here, minus Kirith, as the capital city of Gondor, uh, the city of the kingdom of men of the Middle Earth. They're about to be attacked by Sauron, which is the evil guy with the eye, if you know what I'm talking about. And the orcs are about to come in, and Ga Gandalf, he needs help to send the message all the way uh, to, for, to get help from Gondor, uh, from, from, from another kingdom, from another people. So he sends uh, a hobbit up named Pippin up to light this beacon up in the top of the mountain, which sets off a whole series of beacons across the mountain chain, and which summons all the way to the, uh, to the uh, kingdom of Rohim, uh, which is the race of men uh, that Rohan ruled. And here, uh, Aragorn sees it, uh, a little bit of a meme. Uh, Aragorn on the top, he sees the light on the top of the mountain. He runs in, he says, the beacons are lit. Gondor calls for aid. And I'm like, wow. I'm standing there watching, and then the Theoden, the king of Rohan, says, and Rohan will answer. Like, you know, in a very epic kind of voice, turns around, uh, terrible accent, but you follow along with me. You see, these beacon fires uh, isn't made up. It's actually something that happens in the known world. Before there was wireless communication, this was wireless communication. This was the way of telling uh, the people what's going to happen. Do you think about it, these people, these poor Men and women, men mostly, I would assume that's part of the army there, would sit on top of these mountains and just wait all their lives for the light to be lit. That's their one job, to sit there and wait for the light to be lit. And their next job was to, oh yeah, I got to light the beacon, right? <laughs> I got to light the beacon right then and there. These permanent structures were on the lookout just to raise the alarm, to pass on the message to the people uh, in the next mountain chain. It, we're accustomed to the terms passing on the torch. We pass on the torch, whether it's the Olympics, passing the Olympic flame on to the next person, uh, next, next person is about to carry it on, or giving the next opportunity, or passing a torch to the next generation. Well, the theme of the Bible, everything in the Bible, I would argue, is about passing on the torch as well. It's about passing on a message that we've been given to the world. We all have a message to share. We think so much in the moment, though, if you're like me, where every day I'm bogged down by the, the, the responsibilities and my to-do list and my checklist. We're bogged down by so many things that we, we often think, forget about this. We forget about how God often uses people. He uses people to spread his message throughout history. And we forget that we're greater than the responsibilities that we have. Those little to-do lists that we have in the moment, that God has an even greater task in them, that we are part of a greater narrative that God is writing. And do you know that you are also lighting beacon fires? Maybe not a physical one that's built on a mountain, but with your life. You're lighting a beacon fire with your life. And what's the message that you are passing on to the people around you? As American pastor and former associate director for the Campus Crusade for Christ, Crawford Loritz, in an article for the Gospel Coalition, he asked these questions. How do you shape a time that you cannot see as he thinks about legacy and pass you on the torch and the moments that we're trying to create and, and, move, and make a ripple in history? How do you shape a time you cannot see? How do you make a difference? How do you make an imprint on the next generation? What is that that is constant? What is it that God always smiles on? What is it that's part of the core of everything that you're about and everything that you need and that you're called to be? And he says this in 
part of the article, I must be careful that I don't prostitute what is really valuable and what the culture really needs for the sake of being affirmed by those during my pilgrimage. Man, that hits hard. That we often don't do what is right and what we're called to and what really the culture and generation need us to be in that moment because God has given you a specific moment and a specific word in a specific time. Often we forget about that. Why? Because we want to be affirmed by the people that we're with in, the pil- in this pilgrimage. That we care more about what they say than the message that we carry and the God that we follow. And the idea here is that we are all called to pass on the torch, and we all have a message to bring to the world. Whether you call yourself a Christian or not, we're lighting beacon fires with our lives, and we're telling people what the world is about by the way that we live, by the way that we talk, by the things that we do. We're also lighting fires. And here's a big idea for us this morning, if you haven't caught it already, is that we all light fires, but we all shape the people in the world around us, whether we like it or not. Whether we like it or not, we're passing on the torch, we're passing on the flame, we're passing on a message. So the question is, what is this message that you are carrying? See, the Apostle Paul, he's in the final legs of his journey uh, here on earth and his missionary journey. And we see here in verses 13 to 16 that Paul, he drives forward and his desire is to go back and to preach in Jerusalem by Pentecost. Why? Maybe it's to show the others because he's Jewish that he hasn't forsaken the faith altogether. That he's like, hey, I come from one of you and I, feel, and I know you, but here I have this Christ that I have met, this Jesus that I know, this new life that I have, and I want you to know that as well. So everything that I say that I've experienced, it's not crazy. He wants to go back to his people. He wants to tell them of this Jesus as he's, he's experiencing. And then in verse 17, Paul speaks about how he has been faithful to God throughout his journey. Remember, all the cities that he's gone to, he's been faithful in proclaiming God and the gospel, the good news of Jesus, despite all the opposition, despite all the jail time and all the beating and mocking and stoning that's been going on, he is faithful in proclaiming the message. He holds on to that message and knows that that's the word I need to give. That's the flame that I need to light and he needs to keep going. And despite the opposition and the persecution, Paul, he still desires to go to this to Jerusalem, where ultimately they're gonna, uh, it's it's really gonna pour on for for him at that moment. But he's saying, no matter what, I gotta keep going. See, as we learn from the Apostle Paul, we all shape the people in the world around us. And Paul, no matter where it is that he went, he continues to shape the people positively, positively for Christ. And we're nearing the very end of our sermon series on Acts, uh, and and we've been learning so far what it means to be a witness to to testify to the good news of God, that God has given us power from on high to live out this faith that he has for us, that we are not called just to sit and to be idle, but he has a message for us to impact the world positively. He's using each and every single one of us. And the question is, what do we shape the world around us to be? There's three points for us this morning, and the first one is we shape the world for the better if you're wanting to shape the world for the better, when it's not about us, when we understand that it's not about us. Secondly, we shape the world for the better when we watch out for others and not just what we want and our own desires. It sounds similar to the first, but it's a little bit different, and we'll see. Thirdly, we shape the world for the better when we point people to Jesus and not to ourselves. Firstly, we shape the world for the better when it's not about us. Verse 22 
And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I'll only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my wife worth my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. We shape the world for the better when we think of ourselves, not think less of ourselves, but think of ourselves less. And we think of the will of God more because he has a message for you, he has a, he has a mission for you in the every single day. And I love here, right in the very beginning of this passage that we see here, the Apostle Paul, he was what? He was compelled by the Spirit. He was bound together by the Spirit, meaning every single action, every single word, everything that he thought and did was bound by the Spirit, not in an imprisonment and slavery kind of way, but in a way that guides him. So much so that Paul considered his what? His life what? Worth nothing to him. Worth nothing compared to the task that he's been given, compared to the mission that Lord Jesus has given him. What else do we notice here is that Jesus has given a task. He's given a task, not only to Paul, but to everyone, because the entire book of Acts is about us what, what, uh, uh, being a witness, that we've been called to do something for the kingdom of God. We're called to be what God has called us to be. And what's this task here? It's to testify. It comes from the law courts. It's to call someone forward to be a witness, that that's his task. No matter where it is, he's been called forward by the jury to testify about the good news of Christ, no matter where it is that he's going, the good news of God's grace in his life. And if we follow Paul's logic here, we, we can't testify about the good news of God's grace if we don't know that we have been given the good news. We can't testify about the good news of God's grace if we haven't yet experienced the good news of God's grace ourselves either. We won't know we've been given a task unless we've been seeking out God's will and compelled by the Spirit and constrained and restricted and guided by the Spirit. And this is a convicting question for me this morning is, and maybe for you too, is when was the last time you lived in this way that you were compelled by the Spirit? That you lived in this moment, and maybe like our worship leader, Jimmy, he's like, I have to lay down in the basketball court <laughs> at this very moment. I just got to do it <laughs> because that's what needs to be done right now. When's the last time you're compelled to do something, uh, compelled by the Spirit and to do something for, for God? Paul here was compelled by the Spirit, but we don't always live in that way, do we? We don't always live in that way. This might, not, this might seem like a long time ago in the book of Acts, but it was written to a real people that are very similar to us here today. A lot of things has changed in the world. There's a lot of advances, but a lot of things haven't changed, namely the character and the desires of human beings. It hasn't changed through the centuries. You see, maybe we're not compelled by the Spirit because we're compelled by our own desires. We're compelled by our own desires of what we want. We're compelled by what we think is right. Not only what we think is right, what we feel like is right. That's what we're compelled to, not by the Spirit, not the voice of God, but what we feel is right, what we think is right. We, and what we feel and what we think becomes judge over our own actions. Well, that felt right, so that must be right. But who says what you feel 
who said what your heart is is right in the first place. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all else, and you can't trust it, actually. But here, the Apostle Paul says he's compelled by the Spirit. The Spirit of God is the voice of truth. And here in the world, you're thinking, well, is the Spirit of God always good? Look at the church. Look at all the things I've gone wrong. I dare argue there are times in the church where we use the name of God in vain. And we said we heard his voice. We're living out the will of God, but that, not, that was actually the will of man. And I think now and today is not very different that if you want to change the world for the better, if you want to pass on the baton, and you want to light a flame that goes on and gives people life, we don't listen to our own hearts. We listen to God. We listen to what he says. We listen to what he proclaims because God is true. God is good. That I know. And he leads us to still waters and to good places. Because how often for you, in your own experience, you listened to your own heart and afterwards you regretted that. You're like, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have listened to that voice. Look, the, look at the mess that I've gotten myself into. But here the Apostle Paul is compelled by the Spirit. And no wonder he goes and testifies about that because of what he has experienced. And it's not just about looking the part either. I came across this story about Nigel Richards, uh, for you Scrabble, uh, it's called Scrabble nerds, that's not a very politically good term. Uh, people into Scrabble. Uh, for people that are into Scrabble, you might know his name. He actually won the French uh, Scrabble Championship, and that's pretty normal for him to win a Scrabble Championship because He's won the World Scrabble Championship three times, the U.S. National Championship five times, um, and I think another one, another World Open six times. What's special about him winning the French, uh, the French Scrabble Championship is that he's from New Zealand, and he doesn't speak French at all. The thing is, he has photographic memory, and he memorized the entire French Scrabble Bible, and he defeated people that came from French-speaking countries. That study French their entire life. Can you imagine at the end of in that final match, he's like speaking. He's like, "Sorry, can you repeat the instructions? Like, what's next?" Because <laughs> he doesn't actually speak French. Just because it looks good on the outside, it doesn't mean it's the right thing. You can look the part. It doesn't mean you fully understand what is going on. And I think too many of us are trying to look the part instead of really being what God has called us to be that we are called to follow and listen to the will of God, not to our own selves. And we see here in the text that without a doubt that God had a task for Paul and he was listening to the spirit of God and he was lighting these flames for God every, everywhere. But we see without a doubt that God also has a task for you. A task for you, a task for me, but do, are we quiet enough to listen? Are we distracted by other things that compel us? They're vouching for our attention. As I think about Nigel, I was calling by his first name, I don't know him at all, <laughs> Nigel uh, Richards. We're too busy looking the part, and we don't, desi- we don't spend enough time desiring and, and seeking the will of God. So today, maybe a reminder for you is don't be mistaken. Don't mistake competency for character either. That just because we can do something, it doesn't mean it's something, that something is for God. Just because we can do something comp- competently and we, can, and we have the power to do it doesn't mean it's the will of God either. We need to be clear where our hearts lie and what our desires are. Because we look at Paul and what he does here, he says this, that he's so clear in the conviction, so compelled by Christ that if he, even if he loses his life, 
even if he loses his life, it would not matter to him because it would be done for God and the gospel that is preached. His only desire is to finish the race that God has called him to. And can we say something like that with the way that we are living? How do we know someone's living the will of God? We know someone's living out the will of God when their desire to please God is above their desire to please themselves. Every single day, that's the fight that we are called to. Not the enemy out there, but the enemy within. Actually, what we desire and what we want, we have to seek out and see, God, is that really what you're leading me towards? Or is that my own voice? Is that what I think is right? Because Paul sees his ministry as an act of worship. Because of his heart of worship, therefore, everything that he did was worship. The missions trip that he's, he's on, it's tied to this response to God, an overflow to listening to this God. And you see, we don't minister out of this competency, which the Apostle Paul is very competent, but out of this surrender and this obedience to God. And sure, competency, it can get a lot of things done. You can get the A's, you can get the pay raise. You can get into the schools, you can get that next degree, whatever it is. But again, just because we're getting things done, it doesn't mean we're following God's will. We'll say that again. Just because we're getting things done, it doesn't mean we're following God's will. Sometimes our own competency is what's canceling God's voice. Our own competency, our own strength is canceling what God is saying to us. What does Matthew 6 33 says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and what? And all these things will be given to you as well. Matthew 6 is set into a context of Jesus reminding us that we're not to worry. We worry because we seek after our own things, our own desires, the things that we wrestle with. But he says, don't worry. Why focus on God? Look unto him, and he will provide for you. I had a conversation a couple weeks ago with, the, with, uh, with one of my mentors, and he was, I was just talking about sermon illustrations and talking about the challenges of that. Like, how do you have an, a perfect illustration that speaks to everyone? And he was like, that's the issue, is that you're trying to find something that's perfect that speaks to everyone. And what it exactly is that? What resonates with everyone? It's actually everyday, ordinary faithfulness. Not a crazy story out there like Nigel Richards, uh, because... None of us are not the riches in this moment, but everyday faithful, uh, every ordinary faithfulness. It's in every single day where someone was able to live out the will of God in that. And I was thinking about that. And I was thinking about a conversation with a university student uh, that is part of our congregation. And I was like, hey, how, how's it going? I know you made it to a school uh, across the country, and um, you, that's the school that you wanted to go to. Like, is that something you want to do? And then she was saying, yeah, I was discerning about that, and I think I'm going to go. I think I'm going to go. I'm like, okay. Let's just pray about this, and you're going to go, and you know, you're going to do, do amazing things over there. And a couple of weeks later, I'm like, hey, did you sign up? Like, are you going to go over to that city now? He's like, no, Doug. Actually, through our prayer and discerning, I felt like it's, even though that's a school I really want to go to, it's prestigious, it's a place that it, it's well-known, and it will get me somewhere, I actually feel God calling me to stay. God calling me to stay. I'm like, why? Because he's not done with, he's not finished with me yet here. He, he wants me to set roots here. He wants me to, 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 to be a witness here in Vancouver. He wants me to be a witness in the church. I'm like, sounds like an ordinary story. <laughs> but that just comes from one of you in our congregation. That's doing extraordinary things from seeking out the will of God. Man, that lit a flame in my heart. 
that passed on a message to me of what's most important to that person. Secondly, you're like, okay, only second point. <laughs> Secondly, we shape the world for the better when we look out for others around us. Verse 28, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number of men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. See, this really does show Paul's heart and his reason, reason for being that he wants to instruct the church and equip them theologically and spiritually, so what? So that they can persevere long after that they're gone. He wants this flame and this desire and this fire inside of them to keep going. And he, he charges them. He charges them with a few things. And I want to encourage us here. It's not just a letter written to the Ephesian church back then, but it's a, writ, a letter written to us now that this charge is to us here today. If we want to shape the world, we're going to need to do these things as well. He says this in verse 28, to keep watch over yourselves. If you want to lead others, if you want to light the flame in other people's hearts, if you want to make a difference, first lead yourself. Don't start with the other person. Start with yourself. Because as I mentioned, the heart is deceitful above all else. And this is a place that God needs to do a deep work first. I'm taking a course in my program. And, you know, I, I, I want to lead the church. I want to lead ministry well and teams well. And then our professor said, before we say all of that, let's just talk about you, Doug. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to talk about me. No, I don't want to talk about my shortcomings and the things I need to come with. I want to talk about other people. You know, how I can lead them. It's like, no, 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 no. Before you can lead others, you got to lead yourself. Before you manage teams, before you manage committees, before you manage whatever it is you've been entrusted with here in life, manage yourself well. And here, the Apostle Paul says right here, keep watch over yourself. Before you watch over others, watch your own heart. Watch your own desires. Watch where that is leading you. Secondly, take care of the flock. In verses 28 to 30, that we're all charged to be shepherds. And you're like, what, Doug? Aren't you the shepherd? Right? Aren't you the pastor in this church, which is what that word shepherd means? Yes, but we're all called as well. I believe in God's church to be shepherds, to care for, to walk alongside, to love the people around us. That us as people in ministry, the leaders that you follow and the pastors that you listen to, they're not the only shepherds in your life. That we're all called to be caretakers of God's church. We're all called to care for one another. And the third thing he charges us with, if we're to look out for others, is that we're to stay alert. Right? Going back to the beacon fire, imagine the guy's falling asleep and the war is coming, and then the guy in the distance is like, you know, <laughs> is he sleeping? Like, you know, what's going to pass on the message? And I think too many of us, maybe we're sleeping, we're, we're, in, we're, we're slumbering. But God doesn't call us to slumber, but to slay, stay awake. And to listen to him and his word and his calling. Because you have a message to carry to the world. And did you know that we can only do all these things? Wash ourselves, be shepherds and care for others and to be alert. All of these are in relation to other people. Do you realize that? That we can't do any of this unless we're present and in close proximity with the people around us. That we can't love people around us. We can't care for the people around us. We can't look out for them and the things that they're, and pray for them, and struggle with them if we're not with them. And here Paul is saying, I'm going to be away with you soon, and you're never going to see me again, and they're all in tears a little bit later. 
But he was with them. He walked with them. He was praying with them. He was struggling with them. He was shoulder to shoulder with them in the trenches. Why? Because what threatens the church and what threatens our lives are these wolves. These wolves that come and they will arise and they will distort. Distort meaning twist. Twist something that is in contrast to something that is straight and true. So you're walking along the straight path and then someone comes along and a word comes along and twists it and turns you off of that straight path and says that, that is true and draws you away. It draws you away from that place that God has called you to. And the image here that Paul, in the language he's using, it's the image of someone that's being pulled away in a direction that they're supposed to be going, but they're dragged away by this force, uh, by this rope uh, from the former direction. And what's one of the dangers today that draws us away, that distracts us, that distorts maybe the truth that we're trying to live out? You hear voices like, you don't like that? Well, don't follow it then. Because you only do what you want. You only do what you desire. You don't like what God says about that call in your life, about your relationship, about your marriage. Don't worry about that. Just follow your heart. Escape that. You don't, you don't want to hear about the set, what God says about holiness and sanctification and living a life that's, that's for him. Just shut that down. Because what does God know? You're your own God. Your feelings are your own God. Your desires are your own God. And look where those feelings have gotten us here today in our time in history. See, following God and his will and his desire is not an a la carte menu. Maybe that will resonate with you. It's not like we go to eat sushi and like a la carte. Like, you know, I'm going to choose combo A, B, and C which I just chose yesterday, you know, $15, choose three items, whatever it is that you want. Following God is not like that. <laughs> Following God, Paul here says, watch, I've, I haven't failed to instruct you the whole what? The whole will of God, the whole instructions of God. He's been faithful to teach everything else. And for us as teachers here today, for us that are leaders, if we withhold the truth of God to someone, that's actually the most unloving thing you can do to them. That's the farthest thing God will want you to do. And here, as a ministry, as a people, we hold each other and we remind each other to stay on the straight path. We want accurate theology, not because it's cool or like, man, let's get nerdy about the Bible and we joke about that kind of stuff. We want an accurate theology so that we can get an accurate picture of God. We want the full menu. We want to see who God is, all of him, not just a tiny part. And so many of us, we focus on the little thing and we think that's all God is, but he's so much more. And I love this part, what ultimately protects the church. What ultimately protects the church is not us. It's not us guarding ourselves when, because we are weak. It's not us guarding each other because, again, we're weak and <laughs> we make, make mistakes. But ultimately, it's Jesus. And it's the blood of Jesus that's poured over his church, that Jesus is the one keeping watch over his church, that Jesus himself is the great shepherd, that he is the one protecting and loving his church. And maybe some of you need to hear that today because you're at your wit's end and you can't do it anymore. The word for us and encouragement for us here today is that it does not depend on you. That Jesus has already done everything that needs to be done in order for us to experience this new life. That Jesus is keeping watch over you and we can find freedom in that. And we can find new life in that. That Jesus is present in your life whether you know it or not. And Jesus is saying he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. 
Thirdly and lastly, we shape the world for the better when we point people to Jesus and not ourselves. Verse 31. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I love what the Apostle Paul says here. We commit, I commit you to God, not to myself, not be like, hey, who wants to follow me? Who wants to hop on this ship? Come on, let's go follow me. It's going to be a good time. I got food, you know, got snacks. <laughs> it's going to be a really good time. Want to join this like cruise across the Mediterranean? Come on, come on. It's going to be shipwrecked later, but it's okay. We commit them as people. We commit people not to ourselves. We don't point people to ourselves. We point people to Jesus. We commit them to God, and we offer them the word, not our word, but the word of grace that comes from God. When we commit, we set them before, that we lead them before God, and we lead them to God and say, hey, this is the person. Don't follow me, but follow God. He is the one that you need. And isn't this the best thing we can do? Isn't that such such freedom in your soul? Because you're like, I can't do it. And you're right, you can't do it. But our point isn't to do it. It's to point people to Jesus and say he can do it. He knows what he is doing. You see, time will change. This is a quote from Crawford Lawrence, the, uh, the theologian I quoted before. Time will change. People will change. How you do things will change. The clothes will change. And the culture will change. But what is constant are these two things the character of God, and the content of Scripture. So don't point people to yourself. Point people to God. Point people to his word. If you want to light a flame that doesn't, that, that doesn't, uh, that, that's not snuffed out by the ways of the world, you point people to God. You point people to Jesus and to his word. You see, great leaders among us, they don't say, look at me, but they say, look at God. You want to be a great leader. You want to make a difference. You want to influence and pass on a message to those around us to endure generations. Don't point people to you. Point people to God. In John 1, 29, what does John the Baptist say? The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Pastor Howard and I went to a preaching workshop on Sunday where Daryl Johnson talked about this a little bit. And he was saying that as great as John the Baptist was and how well known he was in the day, when people came up to him and says, who are you? He says, I am not. I am just the one that points to the one that is. And that is the posture that we have here today. If you want to make a difference and you want to make a dent in the world, don't point people to yourself, but you point people to the Lamb of God, to Jesus, who is changing and moving in this world still today. So when Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed, and they all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. And what grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. As we end the sermon this morning, look how the Ephesians leaders reacted to Paul. I'm not saying that we should go around and when we're gone, people will cry for us. That's not what I'm saying here. But the question here is this, What's, what does their reaction say about Paul's character? Because I don't think it's this superficial, like they're sad that he's leaving. I think it's speaking to his character, what they know about God, how he has, Apostle Paul has reflected the God that he knows. 
what does it say about his ministry? What does it say about the kind of person that Paul was? And we get a glimpse of that by their reaction here. I've been thinking a lot about legacy and, and what it means to finish well. And like, Doug, I'm way older than you, and you're not that old to think about that yet. But I want to challenge us that we're never too young to think about how to end well. That we have a goal in place, we have, a, we, have a, we, have, we have an image and a vision in place of what it looks like to finish well. And the Apostle Paul is showing us here today. Do you care about your own desires more? Do you care about what other people are saying more? Or are you following this God? Because at the end of the day, he has a word for you. He has a legacy. He wants you to leave with the world. And if it's the message of Christ, it's the message of the world, it's going to keep on burning. No matter your situation now, no matter the pain that you're in, no matter how many days you have left, no matter what it is, God has a role if we continue to live it out for him. Let's pray. Father, I pray for everyone here, God, this morning. Lord, you know our hearts. You know what we wrestle with. You know, God, the insecurities that we have. Whether we have a great desire to make a difference for you, God, I pray that you would measure those desires against your will, that we won't go ahead of you. Father, for those of us that may be lacking in desire, thinking, Lord, that we can't be used by you. Father, you use the simplest things in the world to speak to the greatest. You use the birds of the air to speak to us. Father, I pray that you speak to every single one of us, God, that's lacking in desire, lacking in purpose, and that you fill us, Lord, with a vision and desire and a joy that is greater than we could sum it up. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.